The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. For those who don't know me, and there are quite a few actually as I'm looking around, my name's Andrew. I've been at Parramatta for about 30 years, and when I say that, I was really young. I don't have to lie yet. Um, I'm getting there. It's going to happen soon, I'm sure. But, um, but I've been here for quite a while, got married here, met my beautiful wife here, our kids are next door, um, so I'm one of you. Uh, so this morning, uh, and by the way, welcome, even if you're French, by the way, um, you're all welcome. Um, for those who are visiting, we're in a series on the book of Hebrews called Better Than. And uh, as, as I was thinking about it this morning and preparing for this, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time your authority was questioned? Now, I'm not talking about your children. I'm talking about like in a work situation or maybe even at school. When was the last time that someone sort of didn't believe you? Uh, if you've ever been in a customer service environment, I'd suggest it probably happens quite a bit. Uh, it used to happen to me all the time at the bank. Still happens in radio occasionally where people will, you know, oh, I don't like what you said. And you, you say, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. What's the question they ask you? Get me the manager. I want to talk to the manager. And the manager comes along and 99% of the time they say the exact same thing that you've just said. And you've kind of got this, you know, yeah, you wasted your time. Our sort of thought is, isn't it? Don't waste your time. They're going to say the same thing I've just told you, right? This passage in Hebrews contrasts Jesus with Moses in a similar fashion, where Moses is like that front desk employee. But instead of saying, don't waste your time with the boss, this flips it on its head and says, don't waste your time with Moses. Go straight to Jesus. He's the one. Go straight to him. Don't waste your time. And so this morning, my prayer is that we will see Jesus. I mean, this sounds quite straightforward to us. Jesus greater than Moses. Hello. It sounds pretty straightforward. But remembering who this is written to, it makes sense that we argue along this line. And hopefully, my prayer is you will get a fresh vista of Jesus today. Now, the reading is enormous. We're not going to do it all, but I do want to read a few verses. So if you do have your Bible with you, open to Hebrews 3, and we're just going to read a bit of the opening of that, and it'll be on the screen for you. So it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found of worthy, worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. And then just skip down to verse 12. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Can we just pray? 
Father, this morning, we, as we open your word, would you give us illumination today, God? Would you exalt Jesus in this place, Lord? We have done, seen that already in worship, God, and would you continue to just lift his name higher as we gather around your word? Lord, would you just remind us again, there is no better option. There is no one better than Jesus. Lord, would you just open our hearts today? And Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you, God, I pray that they will have an understanding somehow that there is something that they need that only you can provide in your precious name. Amen. So I've got three, and if I sound a bit croaky, I do apologize. I've got three words to sort of navigate through here. They're three R's. No, not those three R's. Uh, Three R words to help us navigate this. The first is role. So we're going to look at the role of Jesus as opposed to the role of Moses. I want you to notice that the first thing we're challenged to, and Dash read it in the worship, we're challenged to fix our thoughts on Jesus. I love that. As a worshiper, as a worship leader, I I love the idea that our thoughts being on him, that word sort of means to consider, to perceive. Don't just give it a, a passing look, a passing glance. Now, just as an aside, isn't that kind of our problem? Isn't that the problem? We just take too short a look at Jesus. We don't take the time to behold him, to consider him. Fix your thoughts on him. And it goes on to say that this role thing, I'm going to tackle it in two ways. It goes on to say first that Jesus is greater than Moses in his person. Now, again, that sounds kind of obvious. Okay, yes, we we worship Jesus, but just bear with me. He is greater in his person, in who he is, so much superior to Moses who came before. Because the audience is sort of weighing these guys up like two prophets, you know, uh, like many religions do today. But as we're going to see, he's far greater. The writer of Hebrews does this in two ways. He uses two illustrations here that kind of apply to Moses, but ever more so to Jesus. First of all, he calls him, he says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest. As I said, these are roles Moses did at least in part. But what does that mean? I won't go into the technicalities of it. Essentially, it means this. The apostle is the ambassador. The apostle is the one who's sent by God to humanity. You might say he represents God before people. On the other hand, the high priest is the intercessor, the one that pleads with God for people. He is representing humanity before God. I don't know about you, but that really strikes at me because you don't really see anyone that can do both of those things. Some of us will be, have that apostolic calling. Others of us will have that intercessory calling. But there's only one that does both. There's only one, Jesus. He is the true bridge between human, humanity and God. The true bridge between heaven and earth. This is Jesus. This is the God that we serve. But secondly, not only is he apostle and high priest, he was faithful. He is faithful to the one who appointed him. Now you think about that for a second. Moses, awesome guy, awesome, awesome guy. Do you remember at the burning bush? He's, he's I mean, hello, this bush is burning, it's not being consumed, and then it starts to talk. I mean, wow, that's incredible. And yet Moses has the audacity to sort of say, who's, who's, who am I going to say has sent me? I, I can't talk. What am I going to say to these guys? But what does Jesus do? Every occasion, I can only do what the Father has commissioned me to do. 
only doing his will. In fact, right at the very last hour, you know the story, he's sweating the drops of blood in the garden. What does he say? If possible, God, if possible, but not my will, your will. He was faithful, faithful in all that God the Father had called him to do. This is Jesus, so much greater in his role, in his person than Moses. But the second thing, not just greater in his person, but greater in his ministry. Not simply who he was, great as that is, but what he did, what he continues to do, what he will always be doing. I'm going to come back to the house in a minute because this is where this revolves. You know, he's, he's serving in God's house. Moses is a servant. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Moses, we, we read, was a servant in the house of the Lord. That word servant means like a volunteer who does things out of love, out of devotion. He loved the Lord. He had seen what God had done. He's just, this is motivated from devotion. But he's only a servant. He's not the true shepherd. I think about this, and I think Hillary mentioned this in a sermon once. It's a really good illustration. Moses is a little bit like Shaun the Sheep. Has anybody ever seen Shaun the Sheep? If you have not seen Shaun the Sheep, he is kind of like the ringleader of the sheep. He's the, he's the, the captain, but he's still just a sheep at the end of the day. Moses was still being led by God. Any one of you in lead, ever been in leadership in church, you know what I'm talking about. We are just sheep. We may have a pastoral calling in some description, but we are just sheep. That's all that we are. And look, hats off to Moses, dealing with three million whinges, seriously. Gosh, they had seen God time after time do this and that and the other, and yet it's like, Egypt's just so much better, Moses. I mean, at least we had, you know, beds and, and whatever. And yet, and yet poor old Moses, he still pleads, like I was saying. He fulfills that in part. But he's only a sheep at the end of the day. He's just one of the flock. See, going to Moses, the author is saying, going to Moses is kind of like just going to that front desk and bypassing the manager. Or it's like going to a school and sounding out the school captain or a prefect to ask them to do what the principal does. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus is not like this. Jesus reigns over the house. Not only reigns over the house, he's the builder of the house. What does he say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because it's built in him. He is the builder of God's house. He is the builder of this. He is the builder of us. He's brought us together. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. It's us. We are the house. And we don't just have a fallen shepherd. We've got an unfailing Christ as our head. In verse 6 of that reading, we read it earlier, it says that we are God's house if we indeed hold firmly to our confidence. Now, this is not not saying you need the confidence to be saved. It's the other way around. It's saying that the confidence, the hope we have in Jesus is the sign of you being saved. That doesn't save you. It's him. It's Christ alone. Don't misread that. But that confidence that we should have is like for no fear of reprisal, an openness to speak out, no fear of repercussion. And I mean, when we see a Christ like this, a Christ who is the great apostle, the great high priest, faithful to the Father, it's no wonder we can be confident in who he is 
and confident in coming to Him, coming to that throne of grace, coming to Him freely, knowing that He is in charge, knowing He is in control. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad this morning our shepherd's not a fallen figure. I'm so glad that we don't follow some madman prophet. We follow the risen Jesus. We follow Christ, the Word made flesh. So hearing that, Jesus greater in his role, you think, okay, great, cool. But, but hang on, we're talking about Moses here. He, I mean, come on, he led people through the wilderness. What is Jesus leading us to? Is there somewhere he's taking us? Is there somewhere we are meant to be going as Christians? Well, church, we come to our second R word. Jesus is not only greater in his role, but he is greater in the rest that he provides for us. If you read this reading, that's rest, rest, rest all the way through this. Um, it's a huge section in this, and it's the second kind of great warning in the book of Hebrews, which we'll come to in a second. Jesus is greater in the rest that he provides to us. What is he talking about? In verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, uh, verse 12, chapter 3, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another to daily as long as it is called today. That's a key word. We'll come back to that. So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is the warning. This is the warning. Don't doubt God's word. We can take him at face value. We can take him at his word. Don't disbelieve. Don't come to him with doubt. Now, this is strange because, you know, we're Christians here. Surely, of course, we're going to accept Jesus at his word. But the author sees similarities with Israel's experience in the wilderness to our experience. He sees that there's struggles, there's storms. Life has a wonderful way of throwing curveballs at you every now and then. And what he's saying is this, don't let their failure become your failure. Don't let their wandering in the wilderness become your wandering in a spiritual wilderness. Don't let that happen to you today. Because God's will, despite Israel's whinging, God's will was not for them to, to come out of Egypt only to, you know, they ask, have you brought us here to die in the wilderness? That was not God's intention. The wilderness was meant to be a gateway. But unfortunately for many, it became a goal. It became the end point of, of their deliverance from Egypt. God's will was to get out of Egypt and the wilderness. And the author, I think, is saying that to us because the author knows we are predisposed at enmity with God. We are predisposed to have a hard heart towards the Lord. That's just the way we are. Every man, woman, and child, anyone who's even had kids, you know, as beautiful as they are, what's the first word they learn? No. We, we know this. We are predisposed to, to have a hardness of heart towards God. And the author is imploring us, don't come with that. Otherwise, you may miss out on your rest. Our rest blocked by unbelief. So what is this rest? There's, this is, there's a lot here, but just bear with me. The author talks about a past tense of rest, firstly. Talks about how God rested on the seventh day. We know this, the Sabbath day. He's created the world and then on the seventh day, he rests. Interestingly, this was a rest that was open to everybody. This is kind of a rest we all participate in now, to tell you the truth. This, this is the Sabbath day, right? 
The second rest, though, he talks about the promised land, which is sort of the, the core of what this was. Israel missed out, at least the bulk of it. They, the idea was to take Israel into this place of rest, to be rested from slavery and from wandering and from just this wilderness experience. And the tragedy of that was so few made it there. So few got out. It's, it's incredible. Now, there is a present rest, but we'll get to that. So just bear with me. Pro, uh, Psalm 95 sort of is quoted again and again and again in this. You know, all that today, if you will heart, not harden your heart, that whole thing, that's Psalm 95. We'll come back to what that means in a second. But not just a past rest, we see a future rest. Now, this one I think we sort of get our head around quite easily. It's heaven. It's being in the presence of God, face to face. You know, I mean, how many songs have we sung about it? I'll see you with face unveiled and all the rest of it. Our trials will be over. The Jesus we've been singing about this morning, we'll see face to face one day. How good is that? How good is that? Over the years, however, I noticed that this promised land has been totally linked with heaven. I'm not quite sure that's fair. Crossing, you know, song after song, crossing over Jordan, meaning death. Maybe. I think there's a truth to that. But I don't believe this is all that the author is trying to tell us. Because what happened when they crossed over Jordan? If any of you remember, we did a series on Joshua earlier in the year. They ran into a city called Jericho. And then they ran into a city called Ai. And then they ran into another tribe and another tribe and all the ites, you know. They had battle after battle after battle. They had to drive the enemy out. That tells me something. This promised land, yes, there's, a, there's definitely an extent to the, our future, but there's also something about this for us to remember. There's a rest that God wants to bring us. That doesn't mean the enemies have been displaced yet. That doesn't mean the work has stopped. That doesn't mean that there aren't battles to face. Because our idea of rest is very different. But this is not what God's saying. Doing Rest does not equal doing nothing in God's economy. Rest does not equal us just, you know, sitting back, feet up, you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes I wish it did. Oh, sometimes I wish it did. Sometimes I wish it was on the beach with a hammock or something like that. This is, this is our idea of rest. This is everyone. I'm, I'm sure most people would love that idea. You know, there's some weekends I'd love to just sit at home or, or whatever and know there's a kid's party or something to go to. And, and, you, and you know what it's like. You're more tired on Sunday night than you were on Friday night, Right? Work's almost time out. I didn't say that. It's only on tape. Um, so what is this rest then? What is the rest today? What is the rest that the author is talking about? Well, I believe it's this. It is a rest not from work, but a rest from works. A rest from having to strive for your salvation. A rest from having to please God by my actions. Because heaven knows I can't do that. Heaven knows I needed Jesus to die for me in my place. If you don't believe me, live with me for half a day, I'll tell you. And you know it in your life as well. We rest from salvation through works in Jesus. It is a surrendering to his grace. Interestingly too, the word that's used for rest through most of this passage is unique. And it's a Greek word which means abode. It means being abiding in God. It means the presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that is rest for when I think about it. 
in, in Exodus, God told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. Church, this is the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. It's not a promise that every battle is going to be just like that. But it's a promise that God will walk with us through the storm. It's a promise that God will never leave nor forsake. Now, that's better than any circumstance. I'll tell you that now. Things can be going so, so well and you're without God. You're in a much worse place than if your world's falling apart but God's still on your corner. Do you know what I'm saying? This is, this is where we want to be. This invitation is for us now. This invitation is for us today. Today is used again and again through this, this passage. Today, if you hear his voice, God calls it now. It's not just for heaven. In fact, and I'll come back to this, if we don't enter into this rest, this rest, there's a risk we'll miss out on that eventual rest. There's a total, the author is pleading with us to get this right now. Now you might be saying, Andrew, what are you talking about? My life doesn't look like that. My kids don't want to talk to me. My job is on the line. My health is a mess. My, my finances are in tatters. My devotional life is hanging by a thread. What are you talking about? That's not rest. Well, the, I think the problem is this. Like so many of God's blessings, like so many of the things that we know God can do for us, we think they go hand in hand with things just working out perfectly for us here on earth. Now, sometimes they will, but sometimes they won't. And that's okay. Believe it or not, that's okay. God doesn't want to leave you in that trial either, by the way. But th this is the point. God's control is not constrained by circumstance. Just because God's in charge doesn't mean that things have to be going right, whatever that means. God might be wanting to teach us something. God might want to iron out something in our character. That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. doesn't mean that at all. And that doesn't mean you can't enter into the presence of God. That doesn't mean God's presence is, is away from you. I mean, this was what the cross was all about. Us, unworthy sinners, being able to step into his courts. I've said this before and I'll say it again. There is no prize without endurance. You can't be an overcomer until you've overcome. But the beauty of that is God is with you. God promises to be with you in the fire, with you in the flood, with you through the storm. The key for our lives, church, is pursuing his presence to enter into his rest. Unless Jesus is given that first place, I promise you nothing will be in its right place. Nothing, nothing at all. The concern of the writer of Hebrews is that this rest must precede the future rest. If we don't get used to living with Jesus here and now, it's amazing. We can have two feet planted on planet earth and yet we're in, we're in his presence. It's amazing. If we're not used to that now, there is a very real danger. We won't get into that in heaven. There is a very real danger. This is not for us if we don't get this right here. Church, know that even with battles to face, and we've got them, we've all got them, God is still on your side. God's presence is still here to go with you. So I hope we're seeing this morning that Jesus' rest is far greater than just the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. I hope we're seeing that. His presence is sweet. His, in his right hand is pleasures and joy forevermore, the psalm says. I guess the question that comes out of that now is, well, how do we get there? 
What are we to do? How do we get to this place of rest now and obviously in the future as well? The third R for today is response. There's something we have to do. Now, that might sound like a contradiction. We've just said no works, no works. No, there's no works as such, but we've got to come with faith. We've got to come with belief. We need to take Jesus at his word. We need to take this at his word that this is, the, this is the good thing for our soul. This is the right thing for us. This is the way we please God. If you're hanging with me and you're forgetting what I'm saying, please remember this next statement. In order to get into the rest of Christ, faith is the key that will unlock the door to the rest of Jesus. Faith is the key. We can't get in through works. We can't get in through our ability, but we can get into God's presence through faith. We can get into this place of rest with Jesus by believing him, by trusting him. We who have believed enter into rest. This says again and again. Church, if a lack of belief is what kept Israel out, then having belief is what is going to get us in. And again, this is that rest from works, that rest from striving to please God and and all the while failing him, all the while giving over our confidence, not in my abilities, not in my acts of righteousness, but in the acts of Jesus and in his saving grace. Because see, while the people of God had hardened hearts and they didn't enter in, we are promised that today, if you will hear his voice, in other words, if you will come, if you will believe what I am saying, that rest is available to you. If you will not come with hardness and cynicism and and, and just, you know, being just so blinded by the storms of life that you cannot see what I'm doing. He invites us through faith to come. He invites us to come to him. So to help us continue in faith, the writer gives us three instructions, three things to remember. So to come to him in faith, first of all, let us heed. Let us pay attention. Let us notice and not repeat the mistakes of the sad history of Israel. You know, you've heard the old saying, better to learn from someone else's mistakes, right? Let's not make this same mistake. And it wasn't just these incidents, the rebellion, which was something in Exodus 17, where they challenged Moses and challenged God. This is the history of Israel over and over and over again through the Old Testament. They went through this cycle of, we're going to obey God for a a time, and they get blessed. Then they forget about God. Then they get captured or, or plundered. They repent, God redeems them, and then it's just this vicious cycle going on and on. It's so sad. It's so sad. But we can be just like that. We're not immune to that. Believe me, church, we have Jesus, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got all these things, and yet we fall in that trap all the time. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. But let us heed. Let us not, you know, let us not rebel like Israel did. They had seen God work. They had seen the Red Sea parting. They had seen the plagues, the judgment upon Egypt and the miraculous, you know, they were saved. Nothing happened to the Israelites, but all all their enemy was just destroyed. They saw that again and again and again, and yet they still doubt. But we do it too, as I said. And the author is imploring us, don't be like that. Don't let their Kedesh Barnea be your Kedesh Barnea. Don't let their judgment in the wilderness come upon you because you don't believe either. Let's learn from their mistakes. Let's learn from their lack of belief because the devil, if he can't stop you from being a Christian, he will try and discourage you and cause you to doubt God's goodness, God's ability. He will get you to doubt why you're a Christian. 
He will. If it hasn't happened to you, trust me, it'll come. It'll come. But as as we're facing to life storms, clinging to Jesus, the anchor of our hope, which is something that they didn't do, but something we can do and we should do and we need to do. Let us heed. Secondly, not just heeding, but let us fear. Let us fear. Now, this sounds a little strange. I mean, I just said we're supposed to be confident in Jesus. Where's the fear element come in? I believe it's this. We don't have to fear anything in the sense that our confidence is in Jesus, but fear, think of it more like vigilance. Think of it more like watchfulness. Fear of unbelief, a fear of doubt creeping into your heart. Believe me, it doesn't take much. The devil is always sowing the seeds of unbelief in stealth. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You don't pick up on it. It's like a weed growing in your garden. You didn't see it start, but all of a sudden, before you know it, it's shooting through and you've got a problem. You've got to get rid of it or it will choke your plants out. This is what the devil does. He sows the seeds in stealth, in an encroachment. Nobody ever backslides like that. You ever notice that? People that have walked away from the faith don't do it because one day something happened. There's a process. There's an encroachment. There's a falling away over time. This is what unbelief does. It comes in stealthily. Think, I mean, think of Paul's words. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. In other words, take it seriously. Be vigilant. Be absolutely merciless when you even have the thought of sin. This is what he's saying to us. Be merciless with your doubts. Be merciless with your unbelief. When you feel you're questioning God, go back to the word. Go back to prayer. Go back to his presence. That's what he's saying to us. Let us fear. And number three, let us labor. Let us give, let us make every effort so that no one will perish by following there. That's Israel's example of disobedience. Let us labor. Let us give diligence, paying attention to the word, paying attention to God's love letter to us. Now, why is that important? God's word, and this next, the last two verses, it closes in such an interesting way. These verses are probably the most well known in the whole passage, where God's word is a a two edged sword we read, and it's able to pierce between, you know, joints and marrow, soul and spirit. We know that verse. What is that actually saying? I think it's saying this. Because the passage finishes by saying, we are going to stand before God one day. We're going to give an account for our lives. God knows whether we've entered into that rest or not. It isn't a matter of whether you did the right thing or the wrong thing. It's did you trust me? Did you have faith? Did you believe that I am willing to die for you? Did you believe that I am a gracious God? Did you believe that? Or did you just go your own way? We will have to give an account. Now, here's the rub. God knows today, even though that account may be many years away, God knows today what the thoughts and leanings of your hearts are right now. He knows what we're all thinking. The problem is we don't. We don't know what's in our own hearts because we're told in Jeremiah, our heart is deceitfully wicked. And we need God's word. God may well see through our heart, but his word allows us not only to see God, but it allows us to see us as we really appear. It allows us to see ourselves in truth. And if we want to have a good account before God on that final day, we need to do this now. We need to come to rest now. We need to examine ourselves today. 
and as we examine God's word, as we see God through the word, as we see our hearts through the word, surely doesn't it make us see how we really are? Doesn't it make us see that we need a savior? I don't know about you, but every time I read God's word, every time I see the standard that Jesus calls us to and that we can't meet and that his blood is somehow able to cover over, it's amazing. It makes me realize I need an apostle like Jesus. I need a high priest like Jesus that pleads on my behalf. I need the faithful one who was obedient unto death so that I could live. I need the one who will give me rest in his presence. And so as we close this morning, I might just get the team back up. As we close this morning, I just want to challenge you. I know some of you are probably wondering, where is that rest for me? I can't really see God at this moment. And if that's you this morning, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you, don't wait another day. Make your peace with the Lord today. Let today be the day. We've heard it through this passage. Today, if you will not harden your heart. So I, I ask you, I challenge you, where is, what is God saying to you? Where, where is it that you need to find his rest? Maybe circumstances aren't going so well. Maybe you just haven't been in his presence for a long, long time. Bring it to the foot of the cross this morning. Don't, don't waste time with it. Don't wait another day. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. Father, I just wanna thank you for this Lord, it's a, it's, it's a hard word, but it's an encouraging word, Lord, that you have made the way, you've paved the way for us. You've given us the ability to enter into your courts, Lord, not for ourselves, but through rest in you, through faith in you. God, help us, your people, to find that place, Lord. Not just on a Sunday, God, but every day, finding that space, that place that we can be in your presence, God. God, I want to just lift any heart before you this morning that is, is, is troubled and is struggling with that this morning. We, we, we lift them to you as a people together, Lord God. And we just say, Lord, do a work. Do a work in this place. And give us all, God, a greater hunger to get into your presence, to get into your rest, Lord God. Because God, we want it here and we want it in that future day, Lord God. With you in eternity, Lord. Hallelujah. In your precious name, Lord.